Hello, this is the official Scottish Rugby Podcast. I'm Caroline Blair and today we're going to be carrying on the conversation around Police Scotland's Don't Be That Guy campaign. I'm joined by Adrian Searle from Police Scotland and former All Black and Edinburgh Rugby's Player Development Manager, Ben Atinga. Lovely to have you on, chaps. Thanks so much for your time and for joining us uh, to talk about this really important issue. So Adrian, if I can just actually throw this straight to you, Sure. Um, just to get a bit of background about the campaign, we are moving the conversation forward this week, but it would be lovely to hear um, the context and the background of it. Absolutely, and uh, thanks so much um, uh, for having us on, um, Caroline. The, so the, the That Guy campaign came about because um, Police Scotland has, uh, is charged with um, undertaking public campaigns every year uh, designed to keep people safe. And one of the, the, the biggest issues facing society is sexual violence um, and the treatment of women by men. Uh, and the, the statistics are, are you know, publicly available for anyone to see. Um, and the I'd worked on several, um, uh, you um, forgive me, but anti-rape campaigns for um, uh, since I joined Police Scotland five years ago, uh, trying to use modern communication to, to influence men's behaviour um, and, and try and um, get them to um, change their behaviour. Um, and the, the, traditionally, the messaging was all around consent. Um, uh, the, the belief was that men needed to be educated about the importance of consent in order to stop the situations um, that, that result in the most serious forms of sexual violence. The, for me personally, although I've done a huge amount of research, maybe because I've done a huge amount of research, that pure focus on consent didn't quite fit. Um, and I always felt, just looking back at my own life, uh, I'm in my 50s now, but you know I was in my 20s, uh, in my teens, in my 20s once, um, looking back, my own experience, I'm trying to work out what was going on, what the dynamic was. And the as the more I investigated, um, the more it became clear that it's more complicated than just men understanding consent. Um, there's this thing called male sexual entitlement that really every, every man um, is subject to in Western society because... The reality is, and something that I personally only really realised, you know, I would guess in my 30s or my 40s, is that we, we live in a very unequal society where there's lots and lots of things that reinforce a message, a wrong message, that men, men have more rights than women um, and that men's sexual desire is more important than that of women. It's um, in you know it's it's structurally based in um, the way uh, boys and girls are brought up. It's structurally based in uh, the films that they, we watch, the TV that we watch, the the books that we read, and it's partly about you know the courtship rituals around women being pursued and men being the pursuers. Um, it's partly set in the workplace. It's partly, you know, and, and lots and lots of different structural aspects that reinforce that inequality between men and women. Um, and a big part of that 
according to uh, researchers and scientists, um, as well as um, uh, women's activists and men's activists, is this thing called male sexual entitlement. What that means um, in, you know, in non-research language is basically men assuming consent where none is given. Yes, there's men out there who actively wake up in the morning and say, I want to go and, and attack a woman. These people do exist in very small numbers, but they do exist. And we know that from, from the statistics. Um, the, the real problem or the really big problem is that um, there's a lot of men out there who don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to um, you know, um, commit some act of sexual violence. But because, they, because of this thing called male sexual entitlement, in certain situations, they assume consent where none exists. Um, and they, they don't understand the dynamic, they don't understand what's going on. So what we've tried to do with the That Guy campaign is redress that balance um, and basically try and educate men um, on what's going on, what society wrongly says is okay in terms of male behaviour, um, and really say that, that all forms of sexual violence from things that, that men, you know, things that aren't illegal, but are really fundamentally forms of, of sexual violence, like, dare I say, staring at women on public transport or approaching a woman and trying to chat them up, you know, and, and not taking no for an answer um, and being persistent and all of these kind of, what some people would call microaggressions, but uh, I'm not wild about that term. It's it's become a bit loaded, but just basically behaviour that's harassment. Trying to get men to understand that um, that behaviour is part of a continuum, um, and that continuum starts at the seemingly innocent and oh that's you know you there's nothing wrong with that, and actually ends up in in much more serious violence. And what well, we've been saying to men, yeah. Sorry, no, I was just going to say. It's interesting there that you you make reference to to behaviours and um, Ben. I think I'm always careful of generalisations as well because what we're not saying is that all men are bad, all men are, are guilty of this. But it's interesting you made reference to the culture around and the behaviours that perhaps demonstrate a lack of consideration and a lack of understanding about the impact that you're having towards a woman or how safe she might feel encroaching on boundaries with your the male entitlement arm in mind. Ben, you've been around changing rooms enough over your career um, to know that there are certain uh, ways of speaking, perhaps ways of communicating between men when women aren't there, when women are there, that can also influence this behaviour, this culture that, that Adrian's making reference to. Yeah, um, you know, obviously been around uh, changing rooms for quite some time and um, you know, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in what happens out there in society and bringing that into the changing room. Um, when I had to kind of reflect on the culture within rugby alone, um, you know, I realised it's not just rugby, it's not just sport, and it's, it's not something that's embedded within the culture here. It's something that's brought in from, you know, uh, society, uh, from, what we, from what we learn outside of it. Um, and... Um, you know, it's just, it's, it, it is about trying to confront that now. And it is very difficult to do that within, within such a, 
um, I guess, high testosterone, you know, male, male dominated physical environment, you know, to try and have these kind of honest conversations or to be able to even change the language slightly um, or change the subject even. Um, but, you know, again, that's, that's just trying to confront the truth, uh, which can be very, very difficult for, for guys, for males, um, which is obviously why it's such a taboo subject. No one really wants to bring up or no one really wants to call out. Um, so I, I, I totally get that, but it is, it is, um, you know, I believe that this is a step forward in it and, and, and bringing a campaign towards it. Um, you know, I have had, uh, several conversations from guys who have seen the, seen the ad, um, none of the guys knew I was doing it until it came up. Um, so why did that, you do it, Ben? You know, for me, I understand it. I, you know, I, um, you know, I've, like Adrian, like Adrian himself, you know, I was in my twenties as well. Um, I realized now only in reflection, you know, now that I'm in my late, late thirties, you know, look back on, on my time um, as a youngster, as a young adult um, and some of the behaviors and attitudes I had towards women, I only realized now. And, um, you know, obviously I'm married now with, with two young daughters and it's, it's not, un, un, it's, it, has, it hasn't, I haven't really realized the extent of it until I really had these common conversations with my wife um, and to get her side of the story, um, something with our, with our program, our support program, uh, you know, we talk about stories because it's by stories we resonate with things. And by that, we, we tend to listen more or, or listen more intently and, and take action. So it wasn't until having these honest conversations with my wife around her experiences only that I realized that I was part of that part of that problem in my in my day, um, and it's something that I, you know obviously it just keeps churning. It just it's a cycle that just keeps happening. That's something that I had learned growing up as well in the environments that I came through, um, that I thought was completely normal. Um, and as I said, as I mentioned, only on reflection have I realised the extent of kind of you know how how wrong I was. Um, and so the only way I do see it is by taking action, is, is in by, you know, initiating the conversation. Um, you know, and vulnerability is a, a huge thing that I promote within our program for guys to be vulnerable and speak, speak their truths, be their authentic selves. You know, so the only way I can do that is by leading um, and, and, and speaking out uh, first uh, on the subject. So, you know, that's that's one. You know, that, that's the reason why I decided to. To, to, to put my hand in and, and uh, volunteer with us. I think what I find so fascinating and really important about this campaign, Adrian, as a woman, I'm not speaking for all women, I'm speaking for myself, my friends that I've spoken with, is that in my experience, in my younger years in particular, before I was married and had children, you were on the receiving end of calls in the street, of jokes, of physical touching in nightclubs, that was unsolicited, it was unasked for. And that feeling of, I almost have to, uh, it's far from encourage this, but I, I can't challenge this because I, I need to keep this stranger because I don't know this person on side effectively. And the frustration and the challenge of being in that situation, I think that what, when, when I had this conversation with the men in my life, as, as your wife did, Ben, it was when I made that connection with safety, that feeling of my safety, being at risk and being compromised 
that really resonated with them. It hadn't occurred to them that when they're standing in a group setting or they're walking behind a woman and they're a group of men and maybe one of them cracks a joke and nobody calls them out on the impropriety of that joke, they hadn't made the connection that for that woman in front of them, she is genuinely scared. Mm. And and that um, is something that you live with. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the I think the the you know, in terms of when when we talk about sexual violence, I think most men's reaction is that's not me, um, and they 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 can't relate to to you know the, themselves as being any kind of perpetrator. However, the the issue is that all these you know, kind of I guess non uh, not illegal behaviors that make women feel unsafe uh, are, are part of a culture that um, not only potentially gives encouragement to, although you yourself may not um, go on to offend um, uh, sexually, your behavior is influencing those around you in your peer group. Uh, and you don't know, you don't know um, what's going on in the heads of, of the other people in your friendship group. Um, you may well be reinforcing that behavior and encouraging them to go on to offend. Over and above the really important fact of what you've absolutely just testified to, that women feel unsafe on a daily basis because they cannot um, identify who is you know, just having banter and who is a perpetrator. And, and the, uh, I get involved in conversations online a lot with men who are pushing back on the message of the campaign um, around self-reflection initially in the first part of the campaign, and now um, uh, about giving men the tools to um, challenge each other uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe and, and constructive way. The men that push back, it doesn't, as you, just as you've said, it doesn't cross their mind um, that for a woman, there's no way of telling whether a man is a friend or a foe. Uh, and the reality is the statistics absolutely bear it out that there are a lot more men who are foes than we would like to comfortably you know, think. Um, and, and that's the massive issue. Mm. Just what Adrian was saying, I just want to touch on it, that it really is just that low-level kind of um, behaviour and attitudes that, that men have towards women that's that's where I think the the source is. That's where it really starts. Um, and just trying to tackle that is, is probably somewhere where we need to go. And that's those conversations. Like Adrian said, it's it's not a shaming thing. It's about you know doing things discreetly, doing things appropriately with the people that you care about. You know, and these are your mates. These are your their pals, the lads. Just to ensure that we can we can nip it right at the source. And it is that low level kind of acceptance of this is appropriate. This is not invalidating that. You know, you can behave in this type of way, uh, you know, around around women and towards women. And uh, I really think that's where we kind of need to go to as, as, as men uh, in society. No, I was just going to say, just uh, again, reinforcing what Ben's saying. There's, there's two things um, that the That Guy campaign is, is challenging men to do. The first is reflect on their own behaviour. And the, all, you know, ultimately, all men have have made women feel unsafe at some point or another 
you know, whether consciously or unconsciously, you know, and, and I hold up my hand and admit that I have stared at women on public transport or, you know, kind of chatted to a woman, you know, uh, without, you know, you know in, in a circumstance where they, they, they might feel unsafe. Um, and the, you know, because society reinforces that behaviour and says to men that this is the way that you're supposed to behave, we, we continue to do that. So that self-reflection is really, really important in terms of looking at what we're doing and thinking, have I ever made a woman feel unsafe or have I ever crossed the line? Um, accepting that, not um, falling into a kind of pit of shame and guilt, but the making a positive choice to change your behaviour. The second thing is that the way that we will create real societal change that will genuinely make a difference is by scaling that up. And the, the, the way that we scale that up is by taking responsibility in our peer groups and uh, in, you know, when we're uh, with other men, either at work or um, socialising. Um, and and the, the, the difficulty is how do you have those conversations with your friends without you know, exposing yourself to, to being shunned within the group? or, um, you know, kind of getting a really aggressive reaction. And I think our message and, and uh, a message that Ben and the other guys in, in the, the, the ad that we've, we've just recently launched really put brilliantly is that shaming people in a group doesn't work. It, it does create that pushback and that negative reaction. It wounds people's egos. What we're asking men to do is challenge each other but do it one-to-one -one, uh, and do it sensitively and do it from a position of, of equality, not from a position of I'm up here and you're down there. It's not about uh, making yourself feel better, about being uh, the guy who's doing the right thing. It's about recognising that we're all products of the society that, that has male sexual entitlement at the heart of it. Um, and the, the, you know, it just so happens that we're further along that that intellectual process of understanding what's going on and we've made those decisions to try and not do this stuff and it's something that that our friends should maybe consider it's a difficult thing to do but it is i think that's the key key thing to say as well adrian not not to move on too quickly from that it's recognizing that it is it is not an easy thing that that men are doing it's something um again generalizing women are quite careful to call each other and and to to speak very openly with one another about their feelings to express emotions if you are in a situation where and i talked about this hypothetical situation uh, recently actually with with a group following this campaign where if you're in a golf club setting for example and you're on a work day out and you've got a boss there and there's a power dynamic there immediately you're in a social setting there's maybe an age dynamic too and and this this is a is a scenario that i do know has happened and one member of that group might say something that is deeply deeply inappropriate to the female waitress that's putting the drinks down or the, the the food down there's that feeling of the guilt if you're not doing something about it immediately there and then there's that feeling of responsibility of morally putting yourself in a position where you are trying to be the the beacon of right there and say this is not right what's just happened what you've just said i think the advice on that seems really fantastic to to maybe do it separately and to do it discreetly a follow-on from that 
and this was um, a, a point that my husband raised, and it's actually something I had experienced when I was working in a bar, is he said, you could also tell the manager that something has happened because that person might be either a member of the golf club and it might ha be happening regularly, but more importantly, so that they not you as a stranger, they can check in on the woman to make sure she is okay. And I recall working in a bar when I was about 19 and my manager coming over to me saying, a gentleman's just come over and said that something was said around you. Are you okay? And I thought that was a brilliant piece of advice too, you know? That is a great piece of advice. And I think that absolutely nails it on the head that your responsibility isn't just to by whatever means you know, um, make sure that the person who's who said the inappropriate thing or behaved in an inappropriate way knows at some point um, that, that that that's the case, but also um, that there's a duty of care to the individual. You don't need to be having that conversation because you may also you know be representing a, a, a threat to that person because you're part of that group, but you're going to somebody else. Um, I think the I think there's obviously situations where you know whether it's in a bar or a nightclub where somebody is literally crossing a line into illegal behaviour, where intervention is needed then and there, and there's you know there's various things that can be done around distraction or diversion of that individual, and I think a lot of men are are you know pretty well versed in what what those actions are oh mate mate come you know come and meet this guy or let me buy you a drink or whatever you know and, and obviously we all know that alcohol is often you know a big part of this behavior and alcohol reduces or removes our inhibitions and you know I've certainly done things that I would never do sober um you know when I'm drunk not not illegal things but the the you know alcohol is a problem um you know as are other substances um, and can affect our behaviour. And in that situation, a good friend will, will intervene. But in terms of actually having that reasoned conversation that's, uh, that aims to change somebody's perspective and you know, change the behaviour through changing their attitudes, um, that's a conversation to, to have when either sober, uh, be cold light of day, but also where you can demonstrate that you're not having a go, that you're doing this, um, to look out for your friend and, and keep them safe and stop them, you know, A, from making a fool of themselves and B, um, getting themselves into serious trouble. And finally, Ben, then, I guess that, that kind of sums it up really, isn't it? That it's it's changing the narrative from you being, um, from, from you overstepping, from you getting involved, from you having to school someone else to actually you're just being a good mate. You're, mm. you're keeping them on track. That Would you speak to your sister that way? Would you touch your friend that way? Would you speak to your mother, your neighbour? How would you feel if someone else did that to them too, mm. I guess, is, is the... Yeah, um, you know, there's a couple of things I've been thinking about is, you know, I think there's a, there's a huge kind of identity crisis as well when you talk about, when you look at it in a sporting perspective, you look at not just professional rugby, but professional sport as a whole. You know, you come into an environment and there's almost like alongside the expectations of, of performance and things like that, there's also the expectations that public have of, of sports stars, that they need to be and act in a certain way, um, you know, and it's just not, it's just being able to be your authentic self. And that's why the reflection piece is so huge. Guys need to reflect more deeply every single day to make sure that they 
uh, being their authentic selves because we're not like this. We, we, you know, we're not like this as we grow up and it seems that we come into this different environment and we see it and we think, oh, that's how we're supposed to be. And that's what people expect of us. And it's just being able to be true to kind of your, you know, who you really are and the values that you grow up, grow up on. And I'm, I'm quite sure that all the players and their parents especially would be the first one to say they're not raised that way. You know, so it's just something that we kind of learn as we go. And it's just making sure that us as, as sorry, the players themselves can, uh, as, they, as they navigate their young adult lives, can, can just learn to kind of, you know, almost drop the ego a little bit and just reflect on, you know, is this, does this sit right with who they are? Is this the kind of person they want to be and how they want to be seen? And if they do want to be seen in that way, was why do they want to be seen in that way? You know, is that something they aspire to be off the field and how they want people to view them? You know, because, you know, there's one thing that my, my father um, said to me, or he, he said to me before I left and came to Edinburgh, and he said, the evil that all men do lives after them. You know, and that just, that really hit me. And I thought, I just need to make sure that, you know, I, I kind of stay true to that authentic self and make sure that I stick by my values, you know, and, and, and those values are, uh, a Christian like, you know, making sure that I do things uh, in the right way um, and also try and promote that as much as I can wherever I go. So, you know, I, I just think there's a responsibility to, to athletes, not just our rugby players, but to all athletes, professional athletes, especially uh, just to make sure they're kind of acting within their authentic self. And that, that all comes from their, their upbringing and how they come through. Uh, as, as children all the way as to into young adulthood. That's, a, that's a, an absolutely brilliant point that that Ben makes, and the you know, just in agreement. You know, I, I would say that the a lot of male behaviour it comes down to how we think we're supposed to behave, and that's the stuff that comes from the culture that we grow up with, and the the images of what masculinity is and what being a man is. Um, the other thing I would say is that, that humour is okay so long as it's not denigrating or belittling people. Um, humour is really, really important in teams and really important in groups. And I've, you know, I've played in football teams and they played in rugby teams um, a very long time ago. Uh, and that humour is really, really important in terms of levelling out the playing field in terms of hierarchy. Men are very, very hierarchical and will will know who the alpha male is in a group. Um, and we then use humor to subvert that, that hierarchy um, and, and put everybody onto a level uh, playing field. The problem is that, that that humor can become highly competitive as people try and push the, the boundaries further and further and further. And that's where the misogynistic behavior comes in, the hate speech, the you know, whatever, as people try and get a laugh, you know, kind of a more and more extreme level. You don't need to do that. It's not necessary. Um, and the it's 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 they're often what appears to be the easy go-to subjects, easy go-to opinions. Um, but as Ben says, is that really how you want to be be seen? And you know, would you be happy um, for what what you're saying to be broadcast to to everybody else? You know, how would you feel if your mother or your girlfriend or you know your neighbours or your boss um, you know, heard you say that stuff? And it's just you know, you can still be funny without descending into those kind of tropes 
and stereotypes um, um, and and you know ultimately just think about other people you know that's the that's the key thing you know and, yeah. and as, as Ben says just be yourself yeah and, and like that's what we're really trying to push with our guys you know we we want to we want to educate and, and bring awareness to to the players um, with their with that development uh, their personal development just to make sure that they you know that they are making good decisions out there you know across the many different complex environments that they're in from being within this environment to outside of it um, you know because in the end it's about making sure that we're kind of um, nurturing and um, you know, harnessing like the skills that these these athletes have to be able to go out there eventually and become good leaders within their own communities because that's that's what we need to do uh, at the end of the day is make sure that we can turn these guys and use the skills that they have to be able to influence and impact the community in a really positive way and in, in, in a way empower our, our communities as well to, to become better people. Role models on and off the pitch. Benettinger. Yeah. Adrian Searle, thank you both so much for your time and for explaining so brilliantly this hugely, hugely important issue. And of course, social media, that guy Scotland with the hashtag don't be that guy. Hugely important campaign. Thank you so much for the update. Do keep Scottish rugby up to date with it. It's, it is, as we say, hugely important. But thank you for joining us on the official Scottish rugby podcast. Mm-hmm.